All right, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Luke chapter 5 this morning. The message is about following Jesus this morning. We've sang about it, now we're going to read about it. If you are a new member, we do love you. Thanks for being here and uh, joining us in this faith journey. And if you're a visitor with us, um, we're just so glad that you've decided to be with us today. And, and uh, I'm Pastor Jeff. I'd love a chance to meet you, talk to you, find out more about you today. Um, but as you're turning there, Luke chapter 5, we're looking at becoming a fisher of men, the caught, the called, and the commissioned. And so that will be kind of how we work through the 11 verses that we're going to cover today. I want to thank you for your response last week as I made a plea for volunteers, especially in our children's ministry area. Uh, we did have several of you come forward and, and offer to serve. Now, don't let me say that and you think, whew, I'm off the hook because there's plenty of room for you to volunteer. So don't, don't be shy. Come talk to myself or Lauren or Matt and we can get you pointed in the right direction. But I do want to thank you for your, your obedience to the call to serve. Um, today, as we get into God's Word, this is week 15 of our study through the Gospel of Luke. And so it's hard to believe it's been 15 weeks. We've made it to chapter 5. If you're doing the math... We will not make it to the uh, Passion Week in Scripture when we get to Easter next month, but uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking about Jesus, and that's really all that matters. So we'll, uh, we'll do that. Uh, but this week, we see Jesus calling his first disciples according to the Gospel of Luke. And so as he calls them, we're going to have to also look at other Gospel accounts to be able to put this whole picture together of this calling. And so uh, we will bounce around. Be sure to have your finger ready to flip over to John chapter 1. That's my little heads up there for that. Uh, but as we, we look at this one, this one revolves around a fishing story. Now, I, I love to fish. I'll be honest with you. I love to fish. I'm not a great fisherman at all. I really don't know what I'm doing when I go out fishing. Uh, and and I, I like it. But I'm more of a vacation fisherman. You know, it's kind of a relaxing time. And uh, I like for there to be a guide, someone to tell me what to do because I don't know what I'm doing. And one of the greatest fishing trips I've ever been on was off the coast of Florida, off the coast of Longboat Key. Uh, we went on a four-hour fishing trip for my son's 18th birthday. Was it not the best? It was the best. And so we, we get out there, and we get on a boat. And the captain of this boat, a little boat, his name's Captain John. Captain John is the kind of guy that all men want to be, all right? Captain John, his mom probably gave birth to him on the fishing dock. He, he knows the ocean better than you know the back of your hand. He's that kind of guy. He doesn't cry. He just leaks salt water. Like, that's all that happens with this guy. So Captain John gets out there, and Captain John is, he knows where the fish are. And we caught more king mackerel in those four hours than we could, we could even do anything with. We were just, what are we going to do with all this fish? He was so excited that he got us excited. He would scream and he would holler and we were like, what? And he was like, there's a fish. Do you see it? And we're no, we just see water. He was like, you can't see the fish in the water. And he would grab the reel out of your hand and he would cast it and hook it instantly and hand it back to you and be like, reel it in. And you're like, okay, like we'll do it. This was Captain John. Captain John was amazing. There was never one point in that four hours that I said, Captain John, I'm a pastor. Let me give you some fishing advice. I didn't do that. But as we get into this word today, Jesus gets on a boat. He gets on a boat with a Galilean fisherman, someone who was probably born on the dock, right? He, he sweats seawater. It's Simon Peter. And Simon Peter knows how to fish. And this night has not gone as planned. And Jesus is going to get in the boat and say, hey, let's go out a little deeper and cast our nets. 
So Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, let's read along together. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of the Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this account. We thank you for this story that we see how you interact with fallen and sinful man, that you get into our boat. You put on flesh. You came and you lived among us and you called us to yourself. You catch us out of our sin and out of our death and you bring us to newness of life. And so, Father, I thank you for the work of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that draws us to our knees in repentance. So today, as we walk through your word, Lord, speak to us, mold us, change us, convict us, move us into action. Help us not to be comfortable being familiar with you, but help us to be followers of you. In Christ's name, amen. As John MacArthur says, when you look at Jesus in this simple fishing incident that occurred that day in Galilee, what you see here is Christ, and Christ is the very essential character of God. You see divine truth. You see divine omniscience. You see divine power and omnipotence. You see divine holiness, and you see divine mercy. Here, then, is the manifest nature of God, visible in Jesus Christ. As we look at this fishing story, I want you to understand it's Luke's intention to present to you clearly who Jesus is. He is unfolding before our eyes as we walk through the narrative here of who Jesus Christ is, how Jesus is revealing his identity to people, how he's showing us the purpose of his coming to earth, and how we, as fallen sinners, are to respond to his presence. And so this is a very important message for us today because it's not just a fishing story. It reveals to us who Jesus is and shows us that he is the Lord of the catch. He is drawing people into himself for salvation, and he commissions us as saints to take part in that great commission. Isn't that wonderful? So a fisher of men, number one, is caught by his word. He's caught by his word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of the Gennesaret. Many will call this the Sea of Galilee. We can say both of those ways. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is teaching. As we've left off in Luke chapter 4, verses 43 and 44, 
But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus is going around in his ministry and he's proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the good news. The kingdom of God is here. He's revealing himself as the Lord, as the Christ. And so Jesus is ministering, he's teaching, he's preaching the good news, and crowds are beginning to gather, and the crowds are beginning to gather, and they're beginning to press in on him to where the, those that are on the back end, those in the fringes, they're having a hard time hearing. And so Jesus says, let me get into this boat, let's put off a little bit ways from, from the water so that I can use the water as a reflection of my voice. It'll bounce off the water, and everyone will be able to hear me nice and cleanly. So Jesus is preaching. So the question is, why is he preaching? Well, preaching is the chief and primary means by which the Holy Spirit communicates the grace of God through Jesus Christ and thus creates faith within us. Why is preaching necessary? Why is Jesus preaching? Because this is the means by which God calls people. He catches them in his word. Romans 10, 13 through 15 and verse 17. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the means by which God extends his kingdom. It's the preaching of the good news. Paul here writing to the church in Rome, he's encouraging them to spread the gospel, not only to those who haven't heard, but those in far lands like Spain. He's saying, look, this is basic logic. This is what God's means of salvation involves. It involves people proclaiming the good news so that people can be caught in the nets of salvation. It's a basic logic here that if people don't hear the gospel, they can't believe the gospel. And if they don't believe it, they can't be saved from their sin. And so, they need to hear it. And if they're going to hear it, they have to hear it from somebody. So there has to be sent ones. Why is Jesus preaching? Well, the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the word of Christ, is the means by which God saves sinners. This is the means that he uses. This is how the Holy Spirit gives faith to the faithless. It's through the hearing of the word of God. And this is the reason he came, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So why is Jesus preaching? Because this is his purpose. His purpose is to go throughout all the towns and all the areas and to preach the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand so that people would be caught in the nets of salvation and drawn out of death into life. 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul would say, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why is Paul sacrificing his life to preach the good news? Because Paul understands that there are those who are called, those who are chosen by God from the foundation of the world, that with cooperation of the call of Christ on our lives to go and spread the gospel, that he would draw people into himself. He would catch them in the nets of salvation. So he was willing to endure all things for the sake of those who are his. So that leaves us with why do followers of Jesus preach? It's God's plan. 
It's God's plan to use human instruments as his messengers of mercy by proclaiming the gospel and catching sinners in the nets of grace and forgiveness. It's God's plan for you that if you have been caught by his grace and his forgiveness through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is his plan for you to be a human instrument in casting nets to catch others. This is God's plan for his church. This is what he's commissioned us to do, that we are caught, we're called with a purpose, and we are sent out into a great commission. Verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Jesus begins to teach, but his audience was not only... The crowds, those who had never heard, there were those there sitting in the boat with Jesus who were familiar with Jesus. Preaching the word like we are today, even to those who have heard the good news, is essential because it is by the word of God that faith is again awakened in the followers of Jesus Christ that leads us unto godliness. So it's important for us to sit under biblical preaching. So I say this to say that this is not the first time that Simon Peter has encountered Jesus. So if we look over in John's gospel, John chapter 1, if you flip over there with me, we get a little bit of insight into how this story unfolds. I'll pick up there in verse 29 of chapter 1. John's gospel. The next day, this is revolving around John the Baptist. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the, you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist giving his testimony here through the baptism of Jesus, Jesus beginning his ministry. It says there in verse 35, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples, the two disciples heard this, say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So here we have Jesus being baptized. John the Baptist saying, listen, he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. This is him. This is, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. Two of those disciples the next day hear him say this, and they say, well, we're going to follow this guy instead. And so they start walking after Jesus. Jesus looks back and says, 
why are you following me? What are you, what are you up to? And they said, we just want to see where you're staying. Like, if you are the son of God, we just want to know about you. And so he, they stay with him that day. And one of those is Andrew. Andrew goes and grabs his brother and says, I have got to introduce you to the Messiah. The next day, so here we have a third day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, a city of Andrew and Peter. So now this is their hometown. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So here we, we bounce back and we see that this is the initial introduction to who Jesus is. This comes right after his baptism. So we can take this and we can say, listen, Jesus even went to their hometown, which means house of fishing. It means fishing town. And Jesus is there in the fishing town and he begins his ministry, these disciples that would one day become the disciples that follow him as we see here in Luke. They're checking everything out. They really want to know who Jesus is. As we know from other sections of scripture, Jesus Immediately after this, he's gone into the wilderness. He faces temptation for 40 days. He comes out of that. He turns water into wine. He clears the temple in Jerusalem. These come up next in the Gospel of John. He talks with Nicodemus. He even goes to Samaria, meets with a woman by the well. He does all of this, and he makes his way to Nazareth. He goes to teach in his hometown, and he's rejected. And now he comes to Capernaum. He comes to Galilee again, and he's teaching, and he's spreading the gospel. And this is where we pick up. He's now on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching, and crowds are gathering. And these men know who Jesus is, and he gets in their boat. He saw two boats by the lake. He knows these men. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. These men, we know from reading, have fished all night and have caught nothing. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're on cleanup duty now. We've got to wash these nets. We've got to spread them out. We've got to let them dry. Otherwise, they're going to rot and they're going to break. We've got to do all of this, and then we've got to go catch some shut-eye because we're going to do it all again tomorrow. And this is where they are. And this seems like such an inopportune time. Such an inconvenience right now for Jesus to say, hey, I'm going to get in one of your boats. I know you're busy. You've been up all night, but I'm going to go ahead and get in your boat. And so they oblige, and they say, okay. And getting into one of the boats, verse 3, which was Simon's, he has been put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. No matter what other things were on the to-do list that day, no matter how tired Peter must have been, he gets back in the boat with Jesus. Because ministry and proclaiming a gospel may not always be convenient, but it's always primary. Listen, you may be tired. You may be exhausted. Your work might be wearing you out right now. But when Jesus says, hey, it's time to do ministry, it may be inconvenient, but it's always primary. Is that true of you? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? So Jesus can call those who are lost, those that you can come in contact with. Now, this is the time when these followers, these would-be followers of Jesus who were familiar with Jesus, who had been in fellowship with Jesus, would now take that step into full-time ministry with Jesus. 
Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been familiar with Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been in fellowship, been part of the, the crowd for a long time. And maybe he's pulling you and saying, I think it's time for you to take another step and be in ministry. A fisher of men, number two, is called by his word. Not only are you caught, but now you're called. Verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So not only is this inconvenient for these fishermen, now it's illogical. You want us to do what? We've been fishing all night. We, we've caught nothing. John MacArthur again says, the time had come for him to move not only into Peter's boat, but more intensely into his life, along with the other two who'd become the inner circle, James and John, to lift them to the highest level of commitment. So this was the big ask. Jesus is asking them who are tired, who are discouraged, who were on cleanup duty, to not only get back in the boat so that he could teach, but now, don't go back to the land yet. Let's go out deep and let's throw your nets again that you just cleaned. These were expert Galilean fishermen. These were men who, like Captain John, were, you know, sweating seawater. They know what they're doing, and yet they've caught nothing. Do you think Peter wanted to go back fishing? I would think not. Do you think he could have made excuses? I think so. Do you think he probably knew better as someone who had fished these waters for years? Maybe. Did he at any point say, Jesus, why don't you stay in your lane and I'll stay in my lane? You know how to do this. I know how to do this. He didn't do that, did he? He allowed Jesus into his lane. He allowed Jesus to speak into an area of life that he thought he knew all about. Luke 5, verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Even though this is an inconvenience, even though this is illogical, I, I don't understand what you're doing, at your word, I'll be obedient. That's the difference between being caught and now being called. When you're called, you say, I may not understand what you're doing, but I'm in. I'm full obedience at this point because your word says so. He's not debating. He's not arguing. He's simply surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Verses 6 through 7. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Jesus is the master over the catch. I want you to, this is a perfect story, a true event that shows us that Jesus is in charge of the catch. And he's in charge of the call. Jesus knows where the lost fish are. And he just tells us, in obedience, throw your net. Because I will draw them to myself. If they hadn't obeyed, <clears throat> would there have been a catch that day? I mean, Jesus could have said, fish, get in the boat. And they could have just started jumping in the boat, right? And they could have filled up both boats without even using human instruments. But that's not how 
That's not how God calls it. That's not his plan. His plan is that he would use us in our obedience to draw people into salvation. Jesus calls for obedience in bringing in a catch. If they had refused to obey, let's say, would they have missed out on the miracle? Oh, yeah. They could have gone about their own routine, happy that they had been in close proximity to Jesus all morning, listening to him teach. They could have left there being familiar and in fellowship with Jesus and not knowing the filling power of Jesus, which he uses to gather people. It's a miracle. What if they had been too tired? I'm just too tired. It's inconvenient. What if they had been too prideful? I think I know better. I've been fishing my whole life. If they had been too tired or too prideful to submit to Jesus, would they have fulfilled their purpose in being called to be followers of Jesus? They would have missed the calling. They would have missed the purpose of why Jesus came, to seek and to save the lost. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. This word draw is so, is so cool because it's used later in John chapter 21, verse 6. And it, it literally means to haul in with nets a catch. So no one can come to the Father who sent me unless he draws them in a catch. And how does he draw them in a catch? He uses followers to cast nets. How important is it to be? a follower who shares the good news of Jesus Christ. William Carey, acknowledged as the founder of the modern missionary movement, first applied to his church board to be sent to India, and he received this reply. Young man, said one of the old church leaders, when God chooses to save the heathen in India, he will do it without your help. Unfortunately, Carey knew better than that. He knew that although God is the one who calls and saves sinners, he must go and share the gospel. As Replicate Ministry says, here's the unbreakable chain. People are sent. After being sent, they preach. When they preach, people hear. When people hear, they believe. When people believe, they call. And everyone who calls upon Christ will be saved. What part of the chain is breakable? The weakest link in the chain is our involvement. When we fail to obey the Lord's command to go and proclaim his word and his ways to a lost world, it hinders the mission of God. The negative of this command is this. Everyone who does not call upon the name of the Lord is not saved from their sins, the wrath of God and the power of Satan, and an eternity in hell. There is an amazing promise in this verse. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. One of the reasons for the lostness in the world doesn't reside with God, but with man. Before we point the finger at God, we must remember that there are a few pointing back at us. God uses human instruments led by the Spirit to save lost sinners. Quoting David Platt, he says, But what happens to the innocent man in Africa who has never heard about Jesus? Does he go to heaven? Yes. The problem is he doesn't exist. The problem is not why didn't the African man come to God for salvation? The problem is why didn't we go and tell him about the good news about Jesus Christ? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. 
People do not go to hell because they didn't choose Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. People go to a Christless eternity because they're sinners and they are unable to stand in the presence of a holy God. The question is, are you obedient to cast nets? The question is, are you a fisher of men or are you happy with being familiar with Jesus and in fellowship with Jesus? There has to be a point where you say, it doesn't make sense. I'm tired. I'm busy. I've been working this whole week, but yet at your word, I'll let down my nets. I'll do it because I realize that there's an eternal consequence. As Ligon Duggan says, what is hell? Hell's an eternity in the presence of God. You know what heaven is? Heaven is an eternity in the presence of God with a mediator. You're under God's wrath apart from receiving the gospel without calling out to him for salvation. And so how does he draw people into himself? He sends out his human instruments, the church, with the message of the gospel to throw nets, and he is the Lord of the catch. We don't have to worry about the, the results. We have to worry about our obedience because we're caught and we're called and now we're commissioned. The fisher of men is commissioned by his word. Luke 5, 8 through 9. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his, at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. This is the proper response to those who stand in the presence of God. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We've sang this song this morning. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Simon Peter falls at the knees of Jesus and confesses his sin at this moment. Has Jesus been teaching and preaching right at that moment during the catch? No, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like Peter remembers the message that Jesus has been preaching. And he knows that the only appropriate response is to bow in submission and in repentance. Job 42, 5 through 6, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in the dust and ashes. Repentance is our only proper response. Those who have been caught and called and commissioned, it's a life of repentance. Verse 10, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you'll be catching men. Catching men is a combination of two Greek words. What's interesting about him is it means alive and catch or hunt. So no longer will you be catching fish who are alive and killing them. You will be catching men who are dead to make them alive. No longer will you be catching fish who are alive to kill them. You will be catching men who are dead so that they can come to life. This is the call of the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the call 
of every believer. Verse 11, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything. These men, they didn't, they didn't sell their business that day. We, we actually see that later on, after the death of Christ, they go back to fishing. They, they didn't sell their business. Peter didn't leave his wife financially destitute just to walk off and follow Jesus. No, they, they kept the family business, but yet they got their priorities in, in line. There's nothing wrong with their occupation. Fishing was great. But at that moment, that work was so inferior to the work of the kingdom. Have you got to that point where the things that we do here are important, but man, they are so inferior to the kingdom of God? There has to be a sacrifice to be made. For missions to happen, you have to get out of familiarity and fellowship and actually follow. And that's a sacrifice. Sometimes we have to set the job aside and say, I will follow you, even if it's inconvenient, and even if it doesn't make any sense to me. I will go, and I will cast my nets. I'm going to end with this story. Rod Mattoon says this, Many years ago, an Italian recluse was found dead in his house. He had lived frugally his whole life. But when his friends were going through his house to sort out a few possessions that he accumulated, they discovered 246 expensive violins crammed into his attic. Some of the more valuable ones were in the bureau drawer in his bedroom. Virtually all of his money had been spent on, bu on buying violins, yet his misdirected devotion to these instruments had robbed the world of their beautiful sound. Because he selfishly treasured these violins, the world never heard the music they were meant to play. It is even reported that the first violin that the great Stravinius ever made was not played until it was 147 years old. It goes on and says, many Christians treat their faith like this man treated his violins. They hide their light, their knowledge of salvation, their knowledge of Jesus, and they bury their treasure and their gifts that God has given them. Not, by not sharing what God has given them, many to whom they could have witnessed are left in spiritual darkness and poverty. The joy of knowing Jesus Christ has been kept from others that need him. If you have made this mistake in your life, then change your attitude. Follow the Lord and do what his word commands. Tell the Lord today, I will obey because you say so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that we would be fishers of men, that you would call us out of comfort and you would call us to go, that we would be faithful enough and obedient enough to cast nets where you tell us to cast nets because you are the Lord of the harvest. Father, right now I pray that you would send out workers into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Father, I pray that as we who know you, who are familiar with you and in fellowship with you, who sit in pews week after week, that we would feel the urge and the tug to go and to share with a lost and dying world the truth of the gospel. We would be obedient. We would not sit any longer, but we would drop our nets and we would follow after you. Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the calling, the catching of us that we once 
heard your word and we responded in faith, I pray, Father, that you would do that for those who have not done that today, that they would be awakened to your goodness and your mercy and your love and your forgiveness, and they would be drawn into your presence and they would bow their knee before you because they are sinful and you would tell them to fear not because you are their mediator. Father, we love you. We thank you for this call. We thank you for your church. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand? Will you respond today?